it's a good crowd today. It's not quite 83, but it's it's really good. We might have beat the best the number before that. It's pretty close. Anyway, uh, it was a great week. Last Sunday, I thought was just uh, fantastic, and hearing Brother Larry talk about uh, the impact that this congregation has had uh, was was a really it was, it was like a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? I mean, it was a, a wonderful experience. It was great uh, to get to hear him. Tell, I could have listened to some more of those stories and, and all of that. And then I got to tell y'all, y'all can cook. I mean, that the the fellowship meal afterwards, and we had a lot of people, right? So there's a little bit worry. Somebody even expressed some, some worry to me. Maybe we don't have enough food. You had enough food. And everybody could take food home. And then you still had enough food after that. So he could have done that at least twice um, with what was provided. And it was all uh, just wonderful. Uh, it, was, it was a joy uh, to be here last week. We finished up uh, the week last week with uh, Gohan, my grandson's first birthday. So that was, that was really neat as well. Uh, my first grandson's first birthday. So it, it was a great week for us. Uh, and I was thinking about uh, all week, you know, we had elections, and then I was thinking about uh, Veterans Day, and then because Brother brother Larry came, and I just, I think so much of him, uh, Larry Acuff, uh, he's just such a, a Christian warrior, he has been out there uh, serving for so long, and that was kind of what was in my mind uh, all week, I taught a devotional at Eastridge on uh, Christian warriors last week, and that's what was going on in my mind. So I expanded those thoughts into this sermon uh, of this idea of being a transformed Christian, not just uh, at our our point of salvation, but but taking it beyond that uh, at, at salvation. We read in Romans 12, I mean, Romans 12 is the natural place to grow when we're thinking about being, to go there when we're thinking about being transformed. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable, and perfect will of God, right? This idea of, of it's not just being, don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, continually be a transformed person. Think about that Marine, uh, and this is the analogy I kind of want to use today. Are, are there any Marines in here? Oh, I don't see any any Marines raising their hands, but uh, a Marine is a best practice warrior. He is someone who who is different than than those that are around him. When Marine recruits are bussed into Paris Island uh, to start their training, there's a sign at the front gate. It says Paris Island, where the difference begins, and. You can tell a Marine, typically from from those that are around him out in, in the world, he distinguishes himself in a lot of different ways, by his, his posture, by his respectfulness, 
his attitude, his battle readiness, his toughness. And I can tell you from experience that they'll, they'll say, once a Marine, always a Marine. And the reason I know this firsthand is that my father-in-law is a Marine. And to this day, he scares the living daylights out of me. I'll tell you what. Because he's different than those that are around him. He's a fully trained warrior. And I'd like to think of us uh, as being best practice Christians. If, if the Marine is the best practice warrior, we need to be best practice Christians a best practice Christian warrior, and at our conversion, there should really be a sign. So many people kind of almost think that's the finish line. Okay, I've, I've been baptized, I'm saved, that's the finish line. That's the starting line, right? Salvation where the difference begins. That's when we are transformed, and now we're renewing our minds, and we're continually becoming that Christian warrior, Right? We're considered a new creature, a babe, a baby in Christ. Well, babies grow up, right? And they become things. They, they learn and they get better. And I want to look today at being a best practice, transformed Christian warrior. And so there are six points that I want to make quickly. Not going to dwell on all six for a long time. I know you say six points, and you say, preacher, that's that's double what you're supposed to do. Three, and that's double. So I, I'll spend half the time on each one. So it'll work out time wise. But the first point I want to make is that the Christian warrior has an undiluted devotion to Jesus. You know, Paul tells us 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me, but only as I'm an imitator of Christ, right? So, so we take a look at Paul and we see how he imitated Christ in his life, and that's how we are to imitate Paul. When you become a Christian, the symbol there, symbolism there, one of the symbols, is that you are now essentially married to Jesus, married to Christ. The church is the bride of of Christ, right? And Ephesians 5:25 husbands are to love their wife just as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it, right? That's how we are to be. Husbands we're supposed to love our wife that way as much as Christ loved the church so much that he laid down his life. Well, we have to be devoted to Christ. We have to have a a calculated, deliberate attitude towards wanting to be like Jesus. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to keep in mind. I was thinking about this uh, today as, as we were traveling here. After uh, the tornado destroyed my office, there was a tornado that landed on my office, completely obliterated it. I mean, there were whole walls in my office that were in a different county. And I was, I was going through the rubble, and I saw a news crew coming up to interview us, to talk to us. And my mind raced. I'm like, what am I going to say? You know, I was, and, and I went to, okay, I need to give people a good view of, of a Christian, right? So this is my chance to say, 
say something positive, right? So I'm in the rubble of my office sifting through all this stuff, and they come, you know how they do, news crews, how, how do you feel, you know? Oh, I feel great, you know? <laughs> it's, no. <laughs> so what I said was, God is good. God is good all the time, and this is just stuff, and it doesn't really matter. That's what I said. I don't know. You can judge my, my comment. But the point is, we have to have that attitude of like, okay, I'm about to be in a situation how am I going to be Christ-like? Matthew sixteen twenty four. Jesus said to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, right? That's part of the way that we have to be Christ-like. And when you think about the church as the bride of Christ, there's a lot of times that we need to really renew our vows with Christ, right? You do that in a marriage, you're married... 25 years, and you're, oh, I'm going to renew my vows. I'm about to come up on 27. We haven't renewed our vows, so sorry about that. Maybe 30. I'll, I'll use 30. I haven't got, quite got there yet. But we as Christians need to renew our vows to, to Christ in a lot of ways. We need to consistently strive, consistently strive to build a strong relationship with Christ and to be Christ-like in our attitude. You know, Jesus doesn't really pull any punches when he talks about it. In, in Luke 14, 26, and it's parallel passages, Matthew 10, 37, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, that's, those are pretty harsh words. Aren't they? You know, there's a parallel to that. In the Roman world, the emperor insisted on a vow that you would take to the emperor. And that vow was worded very much like that. I believe that Jesus is really playing off of that vow in the Roman world. And and the vow went something like this. It said, you you have to place the emperor's life ahead of the, the life of your wife, your father, your mother, your children, and yourself. In other words, if somebody's going to kill the emperor, you're going to jump in front of that won't be a bullet, it'd be a sword, right? You're going to jump in, in front of that. That's the vow that you had to take as, as a Roman citizen in order to earn uh, the ability to, to get a seal to, to buy and sell, those sorts of things. And Jesus is demanding that kind of commitment to him. Is He's not saying you actually have to literally, I hate my mother and my father and my children and my wife. He's saying compared to how you love Christ, that's what it looks like. You have to put Christ first. And, and sometimes we have to make those decisions in our lives. Sometimes our family is not supportive of our, our walk with Christ, and we have to put Christ first. And I know some of you in this room have certainly had to make that decision, and, and it's difficult. But Christ did so much for us, and he showed us love first. So that's the first point. It has an undiluted devotion to Jesus. Point number two we have to become biblically knowledgeable. No. It's cut off a little bit. Biblically knowledgeable. We have to, to gain an understanding uh, of the Bible. You know, the Marine, he learns his weapon. He says, this is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. The Marine is expected to be able to take that apart and put it back together blindfolded. That's how well he's supposed to know his Weapon. Well, what's our weapon? What's our sword? 
It's right here, right? This is my Bible. There's many that are like it, but this one is mine. And it's up to me to get to know that Bible and to make the actual book itself useful. Writing, I, I believe in writing in my Bible. I, I have notes all over it and things for me to remember later because my memory is not, not perfect, right, Jeff? Is that right? Yeah. Not, not perfect memory. But, uh, but if I write it down and I go back to it later, then I can, I can refer to it. And faith, of course, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We should have a, a strong desire to know God. And we get to know God through His Word, right? We have to actively pursue a working knowledge of the Bible. You should be able to use your Bible in such a way to teach others and to help others because that's our weapon. That's what God gave us to use offensively and defensively to defend the truth. And I've I got a question for you to think about. Just put this in your brain and think about this throughout the week. How long can someone be a child? All right? And likewise, how long can someone be a new Christian? How long can you be a new Christian and not expand your knowledge, put yourself out of your comfort zone, take on responsibilities of of the Christian warrior? I had somebody tell me one time who had been a Christian for over, well over a decade, about about 15 years he had been a Christian. And he came to me and he, he said he couldn't do something because he was still a new Christian. I mean, how long can you be a new Christian, you've got to be able to to expand your knowledge, to have a working knowledge of the Bible. I'm about to make you nervous, right? You ready to be nervous? It's okay, I'm not going to actually do it. But what if I said, okay, pop quiz today. We're going to have a pop quiz, and we're going to call you up to the front, and we're going to quiz you on the Bible and your Bible knowledge. Not Bible trivia, but important things. So give me a verse about confession. Give me a verse about repentance. Give me a verse that shows uh, baptism is in water, that it is immersion, that it is for the remission of sins, that it's the same and equals calling on the name of the Lord. Give me the verses that have to do with that. Now, how would you feel? you feel a little nervous getting put on the spot? I would, right? But what if then I told you, you know what, though? It's an open book test. You can... You can use your Bible, you can use your phone, you can look it up on Google, and would you feel a little less nervous then? Guess what? Christianity is an open book test. If, if you don't, I'm very bad at, I can remember verses, but I can't remember where they are. It's hard for me to remember the citation a lot of times. So a lot of times on my notes, I'll have the citation so that I can remember the verse, right? And uh, and that's just how my, my brain works, right? But I have an open book test. I'm able to write it down in my notes. And that's how Christian... It's okay to have study aids. Man, I loved it whenever I went to school and they said, oh, it's going to be an open book test. And you can write... You can use your notes. Oh, man. Um, there was... I saw a teacher one time. You have one page of notes. Well, what do you do? You're really tiny on that page. On the margins, i got to use the back, right? But, uh, but Christianity is like that. We have an open book test. 
And, you know, make notes, make cheat sheets in your Bible that help you remember where things are, remember the logical way to make the points, and that help you teach other people the truth and reinforce it in in your life as well. You don't have to have it all memorized. It's always impressive when a, when a preacher gets up, right, and he has no notes and he has no... Does he, maybe he waves his Bible around, right? But he never even opens it because he just has it all memorized. It's impressive, but it's not necessary. You don't have to have it memorized that much. Now, it's great to have the Word written on your heart. And it's great to memorize it. But I'm just saying it's an open book test. And all of us can use that. Number three leads to that. Once, once you have a working knowledge of the Bible, we need to be eager to, to share the gospel, the good news, right? It's not bad news, it, it's good news. We like to share good news, right? I always, anybody ever come up to you and say, oh, well, I've got good news and bad news, which do you want first? I always take the bad news first because I want to be cheered up at the end and get the good news. So that's how the gospel is. The bad news is we're lost without Christ. The good news is, Christ came and died for our sins. You know, obedient faith is something that people recognize in your life. Um, I had a, a friend, I won't say where or, or who, but uh, he was in construction. He was a Christian. And he told me he had to go off on, uh, and I may have told you this story before, but uh, it, it really sat in my mind for a long time. He, he had to go off with a construction crew for, for six or seven weeks. Uh, and I said, well, wow, you know, when he got back, he said, that must have been a difficult environment for you to be in uh, as a Christian. And he said something along the lines of, oh, not really. I don't think anybody even knew I was a Christian. Well, he kind of told him on himself. Because if you're being an obedient Christian, you're going to look differently than those around you in the world. Your language is going to be different. Your behavior is going to be different. It's the same with Marines. Like I said, you can you can tell a Marine by their posture, by their respectfulness, by their attitude, by their battle readiness. Well, Christians are the exact same way. You can tell a Christian by their speech, by their attitude, by their battle readiness, ready to teach others the gospel. You know, Paul says, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, where he uh, declares unto them, he said, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you before, right? And wherein that you stand. He's saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the gospel again, because I've already told you it before, and that's what you're supposed to be standing on. It's not a different gospel. I'm not going to have some new revelation today that's going to surprise you and, and you know, it's changed my life. I never heard that before. We should study our Bible and, and and teach others the gospel. I know that's not not a new concept to you, but I want to encourage you to do that, just as Paul did in First Corinthians uh, chapter fifteen and verse one through four. He declares unto them the gospel, and that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news, and we should be eager to teach others that truth. So that's number three. 
Number four is we need to acknowledge that it is God who directs our life. Now, think about that for a second. The scriptures reveal to us, it says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, right? So the Bible is there to teach us, to reveal to us our path so that our foot doesn't stumble, right? If you're, if you're walking in the dark, yeah, I remember at camp one time, I'm going to tell on myself, camp one time, uh, I, I went to the devotional, the Bible camp, of course, and uh, I forgot my Bible. Well, you got an extra, I don't know, sticker or something if you, if you had your Bible. So I was, I was panicking. I forgot my Bible. I'm going to run back to my cabin, grab my Bible. I'm going to run back to the Devo before it starts. That was my plan. So I ran back to the cabin, and I grabbed my Bible. Uh, I have my Bible and my flashlight, and I'm trying to run. I'm looking at the path, and I was running, and I ran smack into a fence. I mean, like a, a chain-link fence. Had fence fence marks on my face and my head. I wasn't quite as bald back then, but I had, had uh, fence marks on my face. It looked a little silly when I, I finally did get there, and it, it didn't feel too good either. But what was the, the problem? I was running ahead of my light, right? And I didn't notice the, the chain link fence. Also, I'm really clumsy, and, and it's not surprising that I did this. But anyway, uh, in success, whenever we are successful in something, anything, we tend to pat ourselves on the back. We tend to feel pretty good whenever we're su- successful in anything, successful in business, successful in life, successful uh, in in teaching the gospel, anything. What do we feel? We feel pretty good about it, don't we? Man, I really did a good job. I'm, I'm very guilty of this. Uh, or in the early days of House to House, I really needed to learn this lesson right here. And that is, House to House was doing great. You know, we started, when I started out at, with House to House, 20 years ago, they were about five years old, they had a circulation of about 950,000, and after I had worked there for a number of years, we had the circulation was 2.5 million, so it had more than doubled since I had been there. That's, that's all me, right? Man, I am doing a great job at House to House. Things are going so good, right? And then the post office called us. And they revoked our permit, which is, is how you mail it out through nonprofit permit. Uh, and we had to do a whole bunch of paperwork, literally 20,000 pages of paperwork, multiple pages for each church that was in the program. Uh, and it took forever. I mean, it was hard work. And let me tell you, I didn't feel so good at that point when they turned my permit off and I couldn't mail out house to house unless I did all this paperwork, suddenly I wasn't as great as I thought I was. I mean, very quickly the Lord taught me a lesson, I feel, that this wasn't all about me and what I was doing. It was about God, right? God was allowing house to house to grow. And if at any point you get feeling a little high and mighty about your success... God can pull that rug right out from under you. He doesn't have to continue to allow it to grow and, and prosper. 
if you're not putting the focus and the glory on him, right? Where was I focusing my glory? Right here. It was in the mirror. Man, I thought I was something. But it was really God and the great work. And I, I learned that lesson the hard way. And hopefully I haven't uh, forgotten it because I don't want to be taught it again. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's kind of like when you, you pray for patience. You ever, you ever hesitate to pray for patience? Because, you know, God's not a genie. He's not a mag- he doesn't have a magic wand. He's like, bing, you have patience. That's not how that works. You pray for patience, you're going to be taught patience, right? Uh, it can be difficult. That's a difficult lesson to learn. So sometimes uh, we pray for things, and, and they're going to, to happen, but not the way you necessarily uh, think. Likewise, when we go through difficult times, when things do not go the way that we think they should go, that's, we don't blame ourselves then, right? That's when we blame God. We get angry with God, right? So when things are going good, it's all me. When things go bad, oof, God's not taking care of me. He's not doing what he needs to do, right? God is directing the path of our life. All right? And it's up to us how we react to the things going on around us. Look, I know people on... Both sides, probably, are upset about elections, right? People get upset about elections every time. People are upset about elections. And depending on who wins, that side says the exact same thing the other side said when they they won or lost. Uh, look, and I'm, I'm political. I'm not going to get political up here. I'm just going to tell you that that's not as important as being transformed, all right? When you get drugged down by things that are going on in the government, things that are going on in our elections, and look, I get caught up in that stuff too, but you'll find that you're getting conformed, you're getting pulled down by it and not being transformed. It doesn't matter, ultimately, what happens in our country. I love our country. I love America. I do. I believe in its its founding principles. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in our government. All right, but if things go badly in our government, that's not a cause for me to lose my faith. That's not a cause for me to not live a transformed life, no matter what laws or what's going on around me. Because the world is bigger than America, too. Not everybody has the benefits of the freedoms of speech and religion that we have in this country. And they are living, Christians under those regimes are living transformed lives. You know, I was able to uh, to work with some North Koreans a, a few years ago. And uh, they were people who were able to, because of their status, they were able to travel between North and South Korea. There's not very many of those. They don't allow their, their people to, to travel out. Uh, and I won't say uh, very much about them. Uh, I, I doubt this would get out to anybody in North Korea. But their lives were in danger. I couldn't communicate with them through email. Uh, We had to communicate through intermediaries. And what they wanted was they wanted copies of House to House and copies of Bibles to smuggle into North Korea because they're illegal. And if you're caught with them, what do you think happens to you in North Korea? Not good things. So you either go to a work camp 
where you'll probably be worked to death or you'll be executed. So they do not believe in the Bible there in North Korea, the leadership. But those people do. Those people are transformed Christians. And I said to them, I said, if you're caught with this, you're going to be killed. Uh, That's right. It's worth it. That's what they said. I mean, think about the level of commitment that takes. It taught me a lesson, and I hope it helps you as well. So we have to acknowledge that God directs our life, and no matter what is going on around us, we have to be transformed Christians, transformed by Christ. Number five is like that. We have to use our talents, what God has given us, our skills, to serve the Lord. We have to be aware of, of the debt that we owe because of sin, right? And that's been paid for us. Our debt was more than we could bear. I like the word talent because talent was a weight. Um, I actually have one, but I don't bring it with me very much anymore because it weighs 75 pounds. I'm getting older. 75 pounds is a lot of weight for me to carry. But a talent was a pound, a 75-pound weight of silver or gold, typically silver. You have 75 pounds of gold, you got a lot of money, right? But uh, it's the kind of weight that governments trade in, typically. And when Jesus talks about the weight of sin, he talks about 10,000 talents. Like I said, I have trouble lifting and bringing one talent with me when I do my coin workshops and when I teach people uh, about money of the Bible. I mean, I, I even put a handle on it. It's still, it's just a really heavy weight. 10,000 talents on your back, that's the weight of sin? That's impossible. You would never pay off that much debt. You could never carry that much weight, right? That's the illustration that Jesus uses for the weight of sin that's on us that he removed. He was able to pay that debt, this impossible weight. He was able to take that off of our shoulders. And because of that, he expects us to use our talents, our skills, to serve him. Right? Be aware of what's been paid on our behalf and what we've been entrusted with. You know, you look at in Acts, whenever, uh, just take Acts 8, the eunuch, right? Could God have have explained to the eunuch through the Holy Spirit and and just showed him the way? He could have, but that's not what he did. What he did was he sent Philip to go teach him the way, right? That's our responsibility. God has entrusted that job to us, and he expects us to use our talents. Uh, Another point I want to make here is that we are to recognize the potential and the skills of others. You know, if you think about uh, the Christian warrior, well, then you're putting yourself in in a hierarchy, right? So the the church structure, elders, uh, deacons, members, and and preachers, we have to step up, and we have to recognize talent, untapped talent in others. We have to give others assignments. We have to help them grow. It's just like drill sergeants and generals, right? They they see talent in others. They're not able to do everything themselves. We have to all work together to to accomplish that. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. He's talking about the body. But verses 11 through 16, and he gave 
some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That's what we're talking about. We're maturing as Christian warriors so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, right? That sounds like the world today, right? We talked about it in Bible class. Tossed around by the waves. Whatever's, whatever's popular, whatever, whatever people are talking about right now, we're going to be carried along by that wave, right? Whatever wind of doctrine, whatever somebody's come up with that's new, and all oh, that's exciting. There's not really anything new in the Bible. You're not going to come up with something new. It's been there, right here. It's the same. It is exciting, but it's not different, right? But people get carried away by those things. We are to build each other up and take on the role that we're given to increase and build up the work of the church. We need to build each other up and recognize talent in one another. One another, And then finally, well, I got ahead of myself. Next time I'm going to put everything in the middle so that you can actually read it. But anyway, the, the second is to keep, or the last point is, uh, is to keep a humble attitude of reconciliation. Look, we have to try to strive to bring people together in Christ, right? There's been a break. People's sin has separated them from God. And so we need to teach them the good news so they can be reconciled to God and so they can be reconciled one to another in the church. It starts with ourselves and having the right attitude as we go out into the world, a humble attitude, realizing that we didn't save ourselves. Jesus saved us. God saved us by sending his son. Then we also need to pray for our enemies and seek ways to do good to those who would do evil to us. That doesn't sound fun at all, right? I don't want to pray for my enemy. I don't want to do good for people who are, are mean to me or evil to me or want to do evil to me. Why do I want to do good for those people? Because Jesus tells us to. Because that's what being Christ-like is Jesus was dying for you and for me and he was also dying if they would be repentant later and obey through faithful obedience he was dying for the very ones who were killing him who were torturing him right he died for everyone he wants all to come to repentance right that's why he tells us. It's one of the, uh, I call it, it's a fancy word, it's a $10 word, dichotomy, dichotomies of scripture. And that's the idea, if you got this idea, it doesn't make any sense, but then it works, right? For instance, you have to die to self in order to live for Christ, right? You have to be a slave to Christ in order to be free from sin. You have to do good to those who would do evil to you. And then finally, as, as a final point, just to say this, a Christian warrior, you know, I had 
a, I don't know, great, great, great uncle who died at Chickamauga. I don't know if I say that right. You guys can correct me afterwards. But he didn't die in the battle. He was, he was one of the volunteers from uh, South Carolina. He was in the, the Confederate Army, but he did not die in the battle. He died in the hospital, not from wounds, but from dysentery. He died from disease, right? Christian warriors can die from spiritual disease. If we allow sin into our life, that's the same thing as, as not being ready for the battle, not being able to go out and fight the good fight, right? The world recognizes a, a prepared Marine who's ready for battle, and the world recognizes the prepared Christian. You know, have you ever had somebody who realizes you're a Christian, they're not a Christian, but they alter their behavior because they're around you? Maybe they don't say as many curse words, or or if they do, let a, a curse word slip or something. Oh, I'm sorry, I know you're a Christian. I'll try to try to stop that. You know, they try to alter their behavior because you're around. Isn't that interesting? That's the kind of people we need to be. People need to recognize Christ living in us so much that they want to alter their behavior because they recognize that you've got something that they need. That's what's at the core of that. It's not just being polite. On a deeper level, they recognize that you've got something that they need. Right? So when something happens in their life, and they're open to the gospel, who are they going to turn to? They're going to come to you. You need to be ready. I'll leave you with this. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right? That's the whole message of 2 Timothy. Don't give up. Right? Bad things are going to happen. Don't give up. People are going to persecute you. Don't give up. People inside the church may even attack you and, and, and change doctrine and, and be false to you. Don't give up. That's Paul's message to Timothy in the last letters he's ever writing before his death. And that's the message I want to leave with you today. Don't give up as being a Christian warrior. Continue to be transformed by the gospel and what God and Christ has done us. If there's anything in your life right now, any sin in your life that's blocking you from developing into that, that Christian warrior and being battle ready, I would encourage you to make that right today. We will rally around you as your fellow Christian soldiers and we will encourage you, we will pray for you, we will be glad that you came, came forward with that and we will try to help you through it. If you've never obeyed the gospel, salvation is where that change begins. And we would encourage you to study. We would love to study with you. Uh, if either one of those is the case for you this morning, please come forward and make it known as we stand and as we sing.